Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are watching online as well. My name is Kevin, and Pastor Adrian has been in Ecuador this week on a vision trip with Compassion International, and he came back yesterday, late last night, and was reunited with his family, so we're glad for that. He'll be back up here next, um, next week. As Kent mentioned, or I think he did, we're uh, continuing our series called Social, and we're looking at our most important relationships, and we're bringing that ancient literature, whether it be the Old Testament predominantly, and we're going to see some of the New Testament today, and how that plays and helps us as we navigate life together. We've looked at marriage, and we've looked at parenting. We've looked at friendship, and today we're going to tackle that big subject, singleness. And before um, those of you who are married turn to your phones and check out, um, I just want to let you know that, that we do this to our singles all the time, right? That when we talk about marriage, when we talk about parenting, we always put this disclaimer, and rightly so, that what we're going to talk about um, they'll be able to um, take and apply in their life. And so we want to be equal opportunity disclaimerers. I don't think that's a word, but go with me. Um, so here it is. Today we're going to talk about singleness. And so if you're married, what we're going to talk about is very much applicable to you as well. So there we go. Also, I realize that in a room this size that there's multiple stories about, um, or different stories about singleness, about where you are at. And I want to be sensitive to that, but realize that we, we can't address all of those. And so I just asked for your grace this morning. I really have three goals today. The first is to, to help us Think differently about singleness, so think less cultural influence and more of a biblical influence when we think about singleness. Secondly, I really want us to begin to explore what does it really mean to be a family in Christ with whoever, that, whoever God might bring to this church and in our life. And then thirdly, if you are single here this morning, my prayer is that you will leave encouraged. And so with that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, bow before you in humility. And God, we simply um, ask this morning that we need your help. God, we need you to help us to understand the text that we're going to look at today. God, may it be less my opinions and my words, God, and more about you and your words. And Father, in that, help us to be obedient. God, we love everyone here, and we pray that they know that, but God, you love them more. So we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, actually this week, I was given given two letters, and one is addressed to the church, and the other is addressed to the single person, and I was told that I needed to read 
one before we started, and then the other um, we'll read at the end. So if you can help me out, um, I know I'm getting older, and I tend to forget, and so if I forget to read this, can you help me out by raising your hand and say, hey, guy on stage, read this letter. Can you do that? Nobody's going to help me out? <laughs> All right, you got my back. All right, good. All right, so we're going to read the first letter. It's written to the church, and... Um, Oh, it's from the desk of the single person. It's dated today. Nice stationery. It says, uh, Dear church family, hello, my name is, and I can't read that, so I'm not going to. It says, and I am single. I just want to say that I love you, and I know you mean well, but here's the thing well-meaning person. Sometimes the things you say drive me crazy. I mean, I know that you are trying to say the right thing, but have you heard yourself? Hey, I have a nephew who's single. You two should meet. Do you want to meet him? And after the 50th time, it gets a little old. A little old. Or right after you say hello, the next question out of your mouth is, are you dating someone? And if I say no, you look at me like someone died, and then a, oh, poor you, or, oh, sorry. I'm always confused why me telling people I'm single gets the same response as sharing a cancer diagnosis. How about, have you prayed for a sign? Or just make Jesus your boyfriend? If you stop and think about it, there are so many things wrong with that statement. Why are you still single? You're such a great guy or girl. And it's like asking, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with you that you're still single? Oh, well, apparently I repulse people. Or how, do you, how are you still single? I don't know. I guess I'm overqualified. Or honey, maybe if you did something with, different with your hair, you could have a boyfriend. Really? Or how about this one? Wow, you must have so much free time. Or I can't even imagine being single. I don't know how you do it. Sometimes after church, I'll be talking with you, and all of a sudden you'll go, well, what about him or what about her? And here's the deal. I can't even talk with someone from the opposite sex without someone coming up and saying, ooh, you guys a thing? That was kind of a creepy voice, sorry. <laughs> but despite all the crazy things that have been said over the years, the worst is silence. Yes, I'm single, and I know I get overly sensitive sometimes, and I'm sorry for that, but I just, want you to, I just want you to talk with me like I'm a normal person. Focus on what is happening in my life rather than what isn't. Is that too much to ask? Sincerely yours, the single person. See, here's the problem. We have bought into the lie that singleness 
is failure at life. That it is a disability. I mean, even the World Health Organization is moving towards putting the label of disability by singleness. And we have been influenced by culture in this area far more than we really realize. I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament book called Psalms. And chapter, turn to chapter 139. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. David begins this chapter by saying this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And this is a beautiful chapter describing the many attributes of our Heavenly Father. But then we get to verse 13, and this is what he says. This is what he writes. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we, meaning all of us, belong to God. We are His handiwork. And, and if we think about that, that should produce some kind of amazement, some kind of reverence, some kind of awe of what he has created. I mean, a person does not become meaningful to God only at birth. I mean, God doesn't lose track of people like we lose things. He doesn't just look up and suddenly go, hey, Michael, the angel, where's Kevin? I mean, if I really wanted to get lost from God, I, I couldn't even do that. And so we are God's handiwork, right? And we are uniquely knitted together. And there's not another one like you. I mean, isn't that absolutely incredible and that he has purpose for you? So here's the first point. You see, God didn't look at you and say, oops. Right? God didn't look at you and say, oops. I mean, you and I say oops a lot, and we tend to mess things up. God, well, well, maybe he said oops when he created the sloth. Now, who am I kidding? Right? I mean, he makes a great, a great movie character. You know, God just doesn't mess up. And when he looked at you, he didn't say oops. And so this morning, I, I hope that we can do a little interaction together. And I want you to repeat with me that phrase. All right, you ready? So just instead of you, use me. So when God, God didn't look at me and say oops. Are you ready? All right, so now... Don't use me, use you. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, God didn't look at you and say, oops. You guys are having entirely too much fun with that one. Right? You are loved. You are valued. 
and you're loved and valued perfectly, and he knows, he knows whatever status, whatever state, whatever you're at, he knows, and he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Let me ask you this, I mean, do you believe the picture that the Bible portrays of God? I mean, we learn that God is great, right? And if we begin to believe that, then we don't have to be in control. We, we learn that God is glorious. And when we believe that, we don't have to fear others. We learn that God is good. And when we believe that, then we don't have to look anywhere else for our satisfaction. And we learn that God is gracious. He's a gracious God. And when we understand that, then we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. You see, we don't earn God's love. We don't even deserve God's love. But love is exactly what God gives us, what he pours out on you and I, single or married. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. So you can have strength, you can have security, you can have fulfillment, you can have identity in this unshakable, never-ending grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how do you see the God that made you? You see, God didn't look at you and say, oops. In the Bible, we read in First Corinthians, a text that we're going to read this morning that Paul says that singleness is a gift. And if we're honest with ourselves, we go, really? What? If this is a gift, then I want to talk to the person, you know, in charge of customer service because I'd like a refund or I'd like an exchange, whatever it might be. You see, the problem is, again, that we have bought into, that we have allowed whatever it might be or we're reflecting the culture far more than we realize rather than what's biblical in our life. And when we are given a gift, what do we tend to do? I mean, we act just like I do when I was a little guy and Christmas would go, and I would get this gift and I would just rip into it because why? Because I knew it was for me and I knew it for something that I was going to enjoy and I was going to either break right away or I was going to get bored with it. And that's how we look at a gift, but that's not what Paul is saying here. When God gives gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the spiritual gifts that he gives, right? Each one, when they place their faith in him, gets a gift, a spiritual gift that we're not to consume, but rather that we are to give away. And this is what he's saying to us. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about that. But before we get there, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament. I mean, just probably one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. That chapter begins with this verse. Therefore, there is, now, there is no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. And then at the end of that chapter, it says this, that we are more than conquerors, that there's nothing, there's anything else in creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then in the middle, we come to these verses, 14 through 16. And it says this, so follow along if you can. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then here's that second point. God looks at you and says, mine. So say that with me. God looks at me and says, mine. Go ahead. You see, you are his, the creator of the universe. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit and our spirit testify that we are his son, that we are his daughter. And that we are adopted into his family. The, the, reader, the, the first readers of this text would have understood what sonship meant. And it's just a word that means, or um, the description is a child mature enough to take on adult fi- family privileges and responsibilities. I mean, that's, right, that's us. We've been given these privileges, and not only that, but we've been given these responsibilities. And so I want to take that, remember that, and let's go into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I know I'm making you flip your Bibles quite a bit, but 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 9, and then also 32 through 35, and we're just going to read straight through on those verses. I wish that all of you were as I am. This is Paul talking. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And now we're going to go to verses 32 through 35. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the world's affairs, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried man or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be uh, devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, an undivided devotion to the Lord. And so right away we see here in this passage that Paul is saying that each has their own gift from God. Earlier we understand that Paul says that the time is short. We're living in these last days. And the time is short. And so he says, I want you to live in a right way, speaking to those who are single, in an undivided devotion to the Lord. It's interesting, as I was 
doing some research on this, that in the Old Testament, really the pathway to blessing for you was to get married and to have kids. If you were single in that culture, right, that it was not a good thing. It was looked down upon. Well, Jesus enters the scene in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and he quickly begins to turn everything upside down, in particular, this idea of singleness and marriage. In, in one of the books that I recommended for the resource for this particular message, um, listen to what is written about this passage, just a short section. It says, ultimately, Paul affirms the message of Scripture's grand narrative. Marriage is no longer needed to gain covenant blessings. Christ is now the mediator of every spiritual blessing to us. Therefore, each can stay as he was when saved, but marriage is still good for those who, are, who will otherwise not be able to remain sexually pure. For those, however, to whom the gift is given, singleness should be maintained in order to be able to fully serve God without the distractions of family life and attesting to the sufficiency of Christ of all things. You see, our culture, I believe, has perpetuated this idea of being single as being lonely or having an unfulfilled life. And unfortunately, this has crept into the church, and we do it when we do singles a disservice when we view marriage as the ultimate and not God. You see, Paul in this passage is again elevating singleness to where it needs to be. I mean, this is important for us to understand. He's saying the fact that you are married or the fact that you are single is not the most important thing here. Christ is. And so this is what we see. We see that singleness is okay in this passage. Paul is saying singleness is okay just like marriage. We're also seeing that singleness is a gift just like marriage. And so he says walk in it with joy until he says otherwise in your life. You know in that passage in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul, I, I think... Another main point in there is this whole idea of contentment. That he says, really, whether you're married or you're single, what's really important is are you trusting in God at this moment? Wherever you're at, whatever state you might be in, are you saying, I'm trusting in you, God? And so contentment, really, right, is this deep, deep trust in the sovereignty of God. Contentment is this deep, deep enjoyment in the grace of God in your life. And then the third thing underneath that point is singleness has a purpose we see from Paul, just like marriage, that we should not waste. You see, waiting doesn't mean wasting. I read this the other day, and I really, really liked it, so I want to read it to you. It concerns this passage. It says, marriage is good, and singleness is good, and singleness is even better than marriage, if you think it is. If you can, if you can receive that saying, if you have that gift, if you don't like singleness or if, you have, or if you want to be married, 
you don't have the gift. And Paul says, that's okay. And then he goes on and finishes, and he says, this is what, as a church, they are going to tell those who are single in their church. And he says, know this, that our goal is not to get you married. Our goal is to make you look more like Jesus. I mean, I really, really like that. We have allowed culture to creep in. And I think whether we say it um, with words or just how we act, I think we have gotten the message across that marriage is more important, that marriage is ultimate instead of God and Jesus Christ. I came across another statement that I thought was really, really interesting. And and it's um, a church that um, uses this when it talks about singles. It's a statement they say. It says, singles at this church are not really single. And and that got my attention. Well, what do they mean by that? And here's what I discovered. And they said, yes, we understand that when someone asks if so-and-so is married, you would say, no, they're single. And that is okay to say, right? So while it's okay to use the word single as a distinguished for unmarried, and this is where it's interesting to me, it's not okay to use the word single as a title for someone's identity, whether for yourself or someone else. And here's why. Because we are connected to so many people relationally that to use the word single as a title for someone is just flat out untrue. And this is especially if you're a Christian, because if you're a Christian, you're not single, you're a member of the church. You're an indispensable part of the body, that all, right, are useful, that all are be, to be a part. And so you're a part of this really, really big family of people who love you, hopefully. And you have lots of brothers, and you have lots of sisters, and you're inseparably connected to them, and look at this. Luke 20 says that you are going to be spending the rest of eternity with them. You never speak to a mere mortal. You always speak to someone who is immortal. And so you have lots of brothers. You have lots of sisters. And if you're unmarried here today, you're not single, at least not as a title of your identity. I mean, I just think that's incredible. And the Bible backs that up. Let's go to the book of Mark in the New Testament, chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 29 through 31. Mark 10, 29 through 31. This is where Jesus is talking to and replying to a statement that Peter made, and he says this. He says, truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel 
will fail, you can underline this, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, Mark adds, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So here's that third point this morning. When God looks at you, he says, here, right? Here is an incredibly big family that I'm giving to you. You are not alone. And so I want you to say that back to me, right? When God looks at me, he says, here, and even use your hands. Be demonstrative this morning, all right? So God looks at me and says, wow, nobody used their hands. <laughs> yes, Isaac, good job. So let's do it again. God looks at me and says, here. Can we try it one more time? All right, we're just going to keep doing this. <laughs> we'll move on. <clears throat> so Jesus is talking about this incredible spiritual family that people who um, we're going to spend eternity with. Um, Adrian shared with me a seminar that he went to, and a Wesley Hill was speaking, and he took a bunch of notes, and he said, hey, this is some really good stuff about this passage, and so I wanted to share with you a little bit of that. And he says that we need to recover the ancient Christian practice of spiritual friendship. See, this is where culture begins to mess with us again. And it's hard for us to think of a real Christ-centered relationship, friendship, and what that looks like without it really getting weird. Right? What does it really like, look like for you to be my brother or, or my sister? And then he goes on to say, and he says, when, when, um, when we give up something to follow Christ, and Christ says, here is my family, now it's up to the disciples, you and I, around whoever that might be, to be their family, to be family for the person who has left all for the gospel. And then he goes on and says this, think about this, and this to me, anyway, just think about this, Jesus is the truest example of a human being. And he lived without sex. And sex is not as important to him as our culture has made it to be. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, than someone that someone laid down his life for his friends. And he says, We don't use friend the way that Jesus used friend here, do we? I mean, do we have friends who we would lay down our life for and vice versa. And so the question really is this morning, are we being that community of faith to the person who says yes to this gift of singleness or who's in that waiting stage or whatever it might be, are we being that community of faith Are we investing ourselves in people? Are we loving them? Are we, um, yeah. So let's review those three things. God didn't look at you and say, you like saying that word, don't you? 
God looks at you and says, and then God looks at you and says, here, here is my family. And so singleness, just like marriage, is this grand gospel adventure. And it's all about Jesus, and it's all about savoring his goodness. And every one of us has been called to lay down our life for him, for Christ. Every Christian has been called to risk it all for Jesus. And so whether you go far or whether you stay here, it doesn't matter, right? You've been given these incredible opportunities as a follower of Christ to live for him, whether you're single or whether you're married. You have a chance to be this refreshingly honest person, to pour out your heart to this incredibly kind God and to begin to build, do your part in building this spiritual family and to live this incredible full throttle life full of joy and the world is going to go, whoa, I don't even know what's going on right now, but I want to know and I want more of that. The last phrase I'll just quickly say, and you can fill in as needed, godly, fulfilled, single lives are a wonderful witness to the world of the sufficiency of all Christ has done, is doing, and will do in your life. So that leads us to our second letter. And this one is from the desk of the church. And it's written to the single person. And it says, we are sorry. We're sorry that you have received the message that you are less than, that you are somehow not normal. We're sorry for inadvertently sending the message that marriage is to be elevated above anything else and that singleness is a problem to be fixed. We're sorry that, the ch we're sorry that church can be, done, can be one of the loneliest places to be. And we're also sorry for all of the silly, silly comments that we make. We know that singleness is a gift, just like marriage, and that you can contribute just as much to the kingdom as someone who is married. We understand that our culture places a low value on being single, and unfortunately, we have contributed to that. We resonate with what Tim Keller says. We should be neither over, overly elated by getting married nor overly disappointed by not being so, because Christ is the only spouse that can truly fulfill us, and God's family, the only family that will truly embrace and satisfy us. Therefore... We know that we have a unique opportunity to be a God-honoring, literal family to you. We want to look at you not as lepers, but as leaders. We are going to invite, to include, to eat with, really to do life together as a family. We're going to respect your struggles as real and your desires as God-given. And we're going to treat you well, like a normal, fam or normal person. We are brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters in a family connected through Christ. What a great and loving Father we have. Let's show the world a better way. 
Sincerely yours, the church. That's my prayer for us this morning. One last verse, and if you want to turn there, that's fine. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And it says this, above, all, above else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And so the writer is saying, stay true to wisdom, my son. Stay true to God. He wants us to guard our hearts. It's that, it's really a, a picture of what's inside of us, right? That, that directs all of our thoughts, what we say, and our actions. And he wants us to guard that with what? Guard it with truth. Truth about who God is. Truth about who you are as a son, as a daughter, your identity in Jesus, in Christ. He wants you to guard it with truth about what he has done, Jesus has done for you in the past, what he is doing for you now, and what he will do for you in heaven. And he wants us to guard our hearts with truth about the hope that we have in his family in heaven one day. Because why? Because he knows that the inner part of who you are is the wellspring of life. And if it's good, then it's going to be really good. And it's that ability to live with joy, and it's that ability to live with vigor despite our circumstances. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray together as the team comes up. Heavenly Father, God, we confess to you how we have allowed the culture to creep in, God, and really define for us this whole idea of singleness, and God, even how we have elevated marriage, and that's a good thing. And how we put that above you, Father. So I pray, God, that this morning that we will, God, really look more like what your word says and less like the culture. God, help us to be a family that love each, loves each other deeply. God, we need you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.